Hey team, welcome to another week of the Virtus Performance Podcast. Uh, I want to give you all a big thank you for listening, for tuning in, uh, for sharing, subscribing, doing all that kind of stuff. It's awesome to be able to have a community of like-minded people to share these conversations with. Uh, Today's conversation is with James Baldwin. Now, James is big part of the reason that Drops of Juniper, our gin company, is a thing. Uh, He's our managing director and our fairy gin mother. Uh, He is someone who I look up to immensely as a fellow business owner, uh, but just as a legendary human. Um, We spoke about gin and why Drops of Juniper became a thing and how it became a thing. Uh, We talked about James's journey uh, through the army uh, into business and uh, all the the lessons and the experiences that he's had along the way to allow him to become the person that he is. Uh, we talked about we talked about business a lot, about the challenges, about the the ways of moving forward, and I guess the overwhelming theme of this podcast was growth, which I know a lot of you guys are chasing every day. So without further ado, here's James. My personal and business goal is to be just a little bit better every day. I believe everyone, especially normal people, have a story to tell. The Virtus Podcast exists to help us all find small ways of consistent improvement by discussing the journey and experiences of each of our guests. James? Lucky. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. What a time to be alive. I've been trying to make this happen for way too long. And you're finally here. You're not wrong. Well, we're in November. It's almost the end of the year and we've been talking about it since about January. So I thought it's probably a good time to jump in as we uh, head rapidly towards Christmas and then into bloody 2020. Yeah. 2020, the year of Drops of Juniper. Yeah, we thought 2019 was going to be the year of Drops (laughs) of Juniper, didn't we? These things take time. Uh, That's true. Um, For those of you who don't know, uh, I'm one of the owners of Drops of Juniper alongside Lockie. And uh, four other idiots yeah. uh, who all thought it was a good idea to put together a gin brand after a lot of different conversations and a lot of drinking sessions and a lot of all that sort of other stuff. And I suppose we sort of uh, decided to hit the ground sprinting, not even running. <laughs> um, and we did it just at a time where the market sort of stagnated. So it's been a very interesting about 10, 11 months worth of that side of life. But it's pretty crazy how much we've fit into that 11 months. Yeah, you're not wrong. How much has actually happened. You're not wrong. So it was a, around July last year, so 2018, where we really pushed for this to be a thing. Uh, and I tried to group you guys up to make a gin. And that was <laughs> interesting at best. Yeah. Uh, we went through so many different distilleries trying to find somebody to, to help to us make, make us. this gin. <laughs> yeah. uh, but... I tell you what, I don't regret the amount of time that it took because finding Alchemy, uh, the boys up in Hillsville. Shadows and lads. Absolutely. Um, phenomenal guys, but just understood what we wanted 
right from the beginning. Um, and to be honest, I'm not really sure we knew what we wanted right from the beginning, but they sort of told us in a lot of ways, which is great. Yeah. Um, but it's been an interesting 11 months and it's been interesting launching a, a, what is a fast moving consumer good. Yeah. You know, stepping in a world where, you know, you're selling a, a whole experience and a service and a, and a community. And in my other life, I sell alcohol, but it's not my brand. It's other people's brands. And so I'm focused on the customer, not necessarily the actual brand itself. So to, to flip all that around and to be able to sell our own thing is awesome and stressful and difficult and easy all at the same time. What made you want to get all of us together to make this actually happen? It's... I don't really know what it was going to be, if I'm honest. You are the glue. Well, I try to be the glue. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I need to be more Loctite than Clag in terms of just being able to hold you guys together and the hold, fairy it, gym uh, hold it. Yes, the fairy gym mother is, as the website says. Uh, look, I think what I desperately wanted was something of my own to sell. Yeah. Um, but not only just something of my own to sell, because it could have been anything. I could have imported, I don't know, umbrellas from China and put my <laughs> name on it and sold them. But it wouldn't have been fixing a problem. So I guess the big thing coming out of the wholesale trade in alcohol and before that working at Cellador's on the peninsula and, and selling other people's wines and stories was that stories make the biggest difference when it comes to selling anything. Uh, and a clear story with a clear message and a clear ending uh, is obviously a, a recipe for success. But I never really found that I had that through other people's stuff yeah. or even my own business because, again, I, I'm selling a product, but I'm also selling a service. I'm, it's kind of a, it's a bit muddy, the waters. My business is very unique in that way. Yeah. And I love it, don't get me wrong, and it's difficult, which I enjoy, but it's interesting. So I suppose the clarity of Drops of Juniper was it was a product, uh, but it was also a story in a community that we were selling as well. So it's sort of like a little bit of an element of Virtus in terms of that community building and wanting people to be part of this journey of six guys who get together to drink gin that were sick of paying too much money for crap <laughs> gin, basically. Um, yeah. You know, the whole Jeremy Clarkson question of how hard can it be? And the answer is very hard yeah. and very time-consuming and very expensive. Well, it all takes longer and is harder and costs more than you expect. But. A- absolutely. Uh, and you have to take risks and risks are really hard to do. Um, and I think it's there's a, a big part of me that is risk aware, not risk adverse. That comes part of my army training. Yeah. It, it stems from, you know, wanting to bring you guys in for the journey as well because I was the outsider. It wasn't the other way around. It's not like we sort of went out to the market and tried to get a couple of investors like some other yeah. businesses we know. It was just, uh, all right, well, I sort of entered into the, the common folk crew through knowing Sam Keck through church and a few other areas. And then, you know, Tommy started roasting coffee for me and it just yep. started, it kind of, you know, and the bestie started working for me. It's this, this random mix of people and we're a very unlikely mm. group of people. And I think that's the key for me is that none of us are the same. Yeah. None of our strengths or weaknesses are the same. We all share a different view of what we want drops of Juno to be. And I love that because it, doesn't mean that we get stuck in the mud. doesn't mean that we uh, stagnate to the point where we become irrelevant. We're never going to be able to pigeon ourselves, pigeonhole ourselves into the one thing because we're always going to be challenging the... I agree. The idea. Yeah. 
And I think, you know, that's what business is about. And the one great thing out of doing drops and spending over a year trying to figure it out is that the lessons that I've learned in that have helped me in other areas of my life. Yeah. And vice versa. The other areas of my life that keep challenging me will help me bring into drops in the future what I've learned. And, you know, being inverted commas, the managing director of a group of six of us where, you know, effectively there's not much to direct at the moment. Not, not currently. We'll get there. But we're getting there. Yeah. Uh, and pulling investors on board and trying to find a space and, you know, working with council to try and get them on board. It's all... I just feel like there's this massive amount of energy just waiting to fall off the cliff. Yeah. Uh, and when it does, it's going to go very quickly. And so I'm... I love the product. I love it. You know, I'm looking at a bottle now and I think it's... it's delicious it says what it is on the bottle it's you know what you see is what you get uh and you know i'm wearing a junipalooza t-shirt we were there a couple of weekends ago 60 exhibitors you know about three and a half thousand people through on the weekend and you know the feedback we got was phenomenal you know best gin here love the name all of that sort of yeah. stuff and so i think after this really hard season for us that was the the kicker and you know heath and tommy will say the same thing i think the three of us and the three of us are really the ones who are working in it at the moment just fell off a little bit you know winter was really hard for us yeah. alcohol sales was really hard uh, and I'm aware that I'm talking on a podcast that's about more you know performance and from a point of view of Virtus but I think it's, it's a really it's a really cool link we can draw because these hard this hard like season as you said it's setting us setting us up for the next thing and it's almost I, I kind of appreciate this period because it's it's almost going slower than we'd like it's going slower than we'd like it to but at the same yep. time I f- you're right about the energy it's, it's getting ready to ramp up into something yeah and you know we, we made a whole batch of gin that we didn't need to <laughs> yeah you know let's be honest with, it, with the uh, expectation or the hope that it would be yeah we had one of the major chains uh, potentially going to pick it up they made all the right noises and uh, when it came to it it just fizzled yeah and that was really, it was disappointing, but the lesson was huge. It turned out that this batch is better than the first batch. Uh, and, you know, we're down to the very last couple of cases of batch one. So, you know, we had to do it at some point. Uh, would I have liked to have done it later? Yes. Uh, but, you know, it's given it time to settle. And, again, it's we an put experience. Put in the conversation, I yeah. think. And yeah. Doing that. I guess showed that we could do it if we needed to. Yeah. Um, and it allowed us that, you know, we obviously want to grow rapidly, ideally. Yeah. But it gives us the idea that, okay, it's not all going to work out the way we want it. Because it, it almost went too well for a, a six-month period. Yeah, it did. You're right. And I think it's better this way around. Yeah. Uh, because I think the lessons that we've learned in the last six months with a, a whole batch sitting there just waiting to do something yeah. uh, has been more important than if we had just succeeded straight away and been picked up and, you know, gone down the process of, you know, doing a pallet of gin a week, which I'd love to do. I think everyone would. Um, and the big boys are certainly doing that. But, yeah, I, it sort of t- it allows us to take a step back and try and figure out what it is that we're actually trying to do here. And, again, it comes back to that community element. Um, you know, we were talking about guiding principles and trying to figure out what our mission was in this segment of the market. And, really, it comes down to... You know, we drank so much gin that was so expensive and yeah. just not worth the money yeah. that we wanted to be able to provide a product to people who 
want to drink good gin, don't want to spend an absolute fortune, but want to be part of something not bigger than themselves, but special. Yeah. Uh, and belong to a brand that they can identify with and are proud to be drinking. Well, it's so much about connection and just... Mm. Like, we like back from the, the early days where when I jumped on board with the boys having gym Mondays, it was just around talking shit over a drink that I'd never had before mm. when I first first jumped on, and being able to find that connection and that love for a product that I had no, no idea about. Yeah, I want other people to experience that. Yeah, and I want I want to be able to share that with people. So many people, and you would have you had the same thing. Like oh, I don't drink gin. Yep. And Tommy's always said we haven't had the right gin yet. It's so true. And we've almost accidentally, intentionally but accidentally created that gin. Yeah. <clears throat> I think it's, you know, as you say, especially at Palooza, but in every other tasting situation that we do, and I do tastings at bottle shops, as, as Heath does as well, and, and events is people are just surprised. They're surprised how smooth it is. They're surprised by the flavor profile. But, you know, I just think it goes back to this is a quality product that is no nonsense. Yeah. It's not stupidly expensive. I mean, there are bottles of Hendrix honestly. And Hendrix is not a bad gin, but you know, it's over commercialized. Um, nowhere near as good. Sorry. I'm just going to say that, but it's, it's true that it sells for $5 a bottle more. Mm. You know, I'm, I'm in bottle shops down, you know, Western port side of the peninsula and they, they, they don't do craft gin, but they'll have bottles of Hendrix for 80 bucks yeah. itself. So, you know, I think it's, it's an understanding of trying to change people's attitudes. And, you know, as I was saying just before the podcast, it's, trying to break down people's barriers of consideration and allow them to step in with the full knowledge that what they buy is going to be something that is, you know, meets or exceeds their expectations. Um, and I think it's trying to do that in, in every element of life and in businesses as well. And, you know, for me and Four Paws, it's yeah. the same. And you and Virtus, it's the same. And, you know, working, <clears throat> even if you work for somebody else, it's the same. Um, and it's trying to belong to that story that you want to get excited about. Yeah, I think it's just about collaboration and contribution. If we can find that thing, it doesn't matter if you're the guy running the show or if you're someone working in it. If you can take the part of you and provide it to the people around you, then you're going to make the world a better place. Totally. Yeah. And it, and as I said, alcohol is one of those things where it's a little bit on the iffy side in terms of being able to donate to charity, for example, yeah. because you have to be careful that you're not donating to someone that you know, has had a bad experience and that it is what it is, you know, that's just part of it. But I, yeah. you know, what our big thing is, is that we are not in it to make money. If I wanted to make money, I wouldn't be doing it. <laughs> you know, it's just, it, yeah. it takes a lot, but it's trying to give back to the community as best as we can as well. Um, and we will certainly do that when we open up a venue. I know you're going to hate this question and it's, I guess for everyone listening, what, where does drop sit this time next year? I don't hate that question at all. I think that the answer has changed a lot in the last yeah. two months. Um, the, sh- the answer for right now is we'll have a distillery in Mornington. We'll have our own still set up. Uh, we'll have a German still made for us. Uh, it's going to be called Bev. Because <laughs> Bev amazing. at Common Folk knows. Uh, we're going to have a holding tank, a really tall one called Dave. Um, <laughs> just paint the top of it red. No, uh, he... Uh, yeah, sorry. It, it's... That's where we need to be. I think, yeah. you know, we, we're looking for uh, this venue. You know, I live in Mornington and the one thing that I know is that the places that I go out in, I'm not comfortable yeah. in. And I don't mean that, you know, I sell to a lot of these places, but I always feel like I'm working. 
when I go to these places. What I love to do is is watch well, was when I watch someone like Sam Keck walk into Common Folk. Yeah. That's his space, but he doesn't act like he owns it. He's just part of the community there. Uh, and that's why you enjoy going there. That's why I enjoy going yeah. in there. It's transcended him. Yeah. Yeah. He can just be a part of it. Yes, he's an important part of it. Yeah, of course. It wouldn't be what it is without him. But at the same time, if Sammy Keck fell face of the earth tomorrow, common folk would still be common yeah. folk. And I think that's important for you know both you and I to try and emulate that in our own businesses. Yeah. But... It's different in a, you know that environment and hospitality situation when you have you know chiefs of departments and, and people working underneath. Yeah. Um, you know it, it's easier to put in processes and systems that ensure that if you do fall off the edge of the earth, <laughs> it's still going to work. Yeah. But yeah, so to answer your question, we're going to have a distillery, uh, have a cellar door at yeah. least. Um, at least yeah. That that's the next twelve months. I'd love to do that in the next six. Yeah. Um, we we are working exceptionally hard to try and find that factory. Yeah, I guess um, that's the thing we. We're not going to rush it for the sake of rushing it. No, we had that opportunity and we we didn't do it. So I know I'm I'm glad of that. Yeah. I think that you know what we end up doing will be something that won't be everyone's cup of tea, but it's going to give us a base to work from um, and to be able to make our own product rather than contract you know distilling up in Hillsville. Yeah, that's going to be the real winner for me. So I'm not a big KPI person. I don't think they necessarily work as well as people would want them to. What I am, though, is someone who wants people to be part of a bigger mission and want to be part of a story. And I know that the story is a lot easier sold when it's coming from us directly. And Heath and Tommy and me and you and Keck and Bestie, if we all want to get into to make the bloody stuff, yeah, you know, that that's where the magic is. And it's going to take some time. And it's going to take some money, but Obviously, we'll get there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's true. We'll yeah. get there. How'd you get to this point, being Gin Baron? Oh, thank take, you, take thank you for the back. title of Baron. That's nice. You're um, I think it's well. Uh, my life has been a very interesting one. Um, as I mentioned, army before I joined uh, the army to be a general service officer in two thousand and nine, yeah. um, and I went through the Defence Force Academy, which was great, which is uh, where I met my now wife. Um, she was three years older than me at the shout time. Out. Shout out to Claire. Uh, three years older than me, uh, which meant she outranked me, and she still does, so that's, you know, that's cool. Uh, <laughs> I think that'll ever change. No, no, correct, never change. Uh, but, you know, I went through a, a rapid... Um, well, it, it sort of... It took me from where I was, which was a 19-year-old. It took a year off between school and doing this, uh, and this massive change in my mentality... Uh, through initial training, through, you know, basically going from being a kid on the street to someone who could was, could start to effectively lead people in a battle space and kill the enemy mm. or achieve an objective. And that massive change in me was interesting because I used to go back, I used to live in Sydney, so I used to drive up to Sydney and I'd see my friends, but every sort of three-month period, every time I saw them, I would just find that the gap was growing and yeah. growing and growing. Um, so sort of since then, I've just been... I always want more. Um, if you know the Enneagram level, I'm Enneagram 8, which means, you know, I, I'm challenging. I want to get out there and do more. Yeah. I'm sort of happy to skip a couple of steps if it gets me to the end state, which, which sometimes yeah. is, you know, big hands, big maps is the military term, um, rather more tactical. But that that whole growing was, was really important to where I am now. Now, I, I was unfortunately medically discharged. I 
buggered my ankle in, in Pakapanyal in an exercise and, um, you know, the time shattered me. Uh, I was training to go to Afghanistan and, yeah. you know, that's what everyone was doing. It, it sort of, uh, after four years, was was interesting to, to take a step out from a very intense space with wanting to do that to not. Um, and, you know, I stepped out of that space and I ended up somehow... I graduated out with a Bachelor of Arts in History and Politics, which is useless really in the real world. Um, loved it. And, I, you know, I don't think doing a Bachelor of Arts is easy by any stretch, but it was useless. Yeah. Uh, but I ended up working for Defence Force Recruiting and Marketing. I ended yeah. up contracting back to Defence all through people that I knew. And, you know, that whole relationship element was really highlighted to me then and that networking, which hasn't stopped now, as you know. Yeah. Um, so that, that sort of built all of these other skills in this different direction. So I suddenly had leadership and it's not solid leadership. I think a lot of defense people get upset, get out rather saying, I know everything about leadership. Well, it's great. You can, you know, lead 30 people into a battle space and yeah. kill the enemy in his face. But um, can you understand people's wants? Can you clarify what you're doing well? And can you actually educate your people in, in what you're trying to do? Sometimes the answer is yes. Often the answer is no. Uh and so I sort of had enough of that to give me a boost. Uh, and coming into contractor land in Canberra, where there are public servants and defence personnel and, and everything, you know, Canberra is a very interesting place mm. to work, especially as a civilian. So to to then take that experience after a couple of years in marketing and you know spending a lot of money on different campaigns, um, I then moved down here. I followed. Claire, she was in the Middle East at the time when she and I reconnected and we were talking a lot on Skype and all that sort of stuff. She came back to Sydney and then posted to Melbourne and I followed her. I was living in Brisbane, so I'd left Canberra, moved to Brisbane and then came down here uh, and I, I was doing a job in Brisbane where I was traveling a lot, up and back, I mean. Yeah. So I'd have a house in Red Hill here with Claire and an apartment in Newstead and Brizzy and I'd be flying two, three times a week up yeah, and down. Right. Now, driving from Red Hill to the airport is a long <laughs> distance. In fact, it almost takes the same amount of time that it does to bloody to fly. Yeah. Um, and so that wasn't you know, achievable for the rest of my life. So I gave that up and decided to be down here. And I suppose where this is going to is that the reason why alcohol specifically is what I do now is because I had to take a step back and say, well, I've done this before where my whole career option has been taken away from me. Yeah. Except this time I made the decision to call it. What do I do next? And you sort of look around and try and figure it out. Wine is, you know, I was living in Red Hill, so up on the hill, surrounded by vineyards, that's what was around. So I was lucky enough to get to know my neighbour. Uh, she volunteered me for a position at uh, a winery in a cellar door and it just sort of kept sort of going out of that. That ended up uh, with me meeting this guy who owned a wine distribution business who was looking to retire. We somehow managed to get some funds together and and buy that. And, you know, three and a half years later, that's where we're at now. And I think that alcohol element and and that desire for more and change all the way back from 2009 to now has meant that the barren in me... (laughs) For, for, for gin specifically, but also wanting something for my own to, to sort of hang my hat on has eventuated to where we are now. It won't ever be enough for me, mind you. I think, you know, I'll do this and do it to the best of my ability and then hand it over That'll to be, somebody. Yeah. Um, 
as I will for pause as we've I've done with many things in the past. So it's sort of this is it for now, uh, and now is the next five years at least is what I can see in the future. But eventually it'll be something else. You know, I love Formula One. I do a Formula One podcast. Shout out. That's you know Oz F One. If you're interested in listening to three guys talk nonsense about cars going around a track, <laughs> Oz F One. But that's where I see myself. That's yeah. my real passion and love. Um, and you know, given the opportunity, I travel with the you know the circuit around the world to try and yeah. try and do that. But one step at a time. So is that the if you know, money was no option, what would you do with with your days that would be it follow the follow around i'd record a lot of big band music because yeah. i'm a big band singer yeah. uh and report on formula one that would be my ideal situation and the music thing would really sort of tie in well and the travel will tie in well because you know there's so many there's 23 races in the calendar and they're all over the place and so being able to travel and seeing new music and, and meet new people and eat in different places would be phenomenal for me hopefully that is achievable <laughs> yeah. um Obviously, I'd love for somebody else to pay me to do that, but I think in the short term, it's just getting funds together to be able to pay for my own way around. Yeah. Um, and it's a very unique offering. Formula One is not big in this country, uh, but compared to other places in the world, and the majority of our listeners are from Australia, which is great, but we have people from Germany and the US, Canada and England listening, which is That's great a cool as well. start if you can start to create a little bit of excitement around F1 in Australia. And that was the whole and point. tap into the big, bigger markets, it's hopefully it just snowballs. That was the whole point. You know, it was more an educational piece that wasn't the traditional Fox Sports V8 supercars <laughs> yeah. way, which is assume you know everything. Yeah. Um, you know, we try and explain everything as we go along and, and just have a bit of fun with it, which is the same with gin, which is the same with how you and I catch mm-hmm. up. It's, you know, the, the important thing for me is that being excellent in everything that you're doing, especially, you know, and the, the guiding principles for four paws are, community communication and excellence they're my three awesome and so everything has to go through that filter before we do everything and that's easier said than done you know uh but i think starting with that and i try and sort of apply that to drops and and to oz f1 as well is so long as that is the starting point uh i think only good things can come from it yeah well they're the standards or the ideals that you hold yourself to Mm. and you're just trying to get as close to those as as you can with everything yeah and but it's also about trying to exhibit those to other people and then watching and growing them you know i'd love to the point to or to get to a point rather where i can grow somebody in either four paws or drops to that is better than me uh and that i can promote and encourage and then stand aside and let them do it i think that's one of the biggest errors in leadership at the moment especially people who own businesses is that they feel like they have to have control and they know everything therefore they must have every every element of control but you know i i want to grow and to step aside to let other people do it you always had a lot of experience both in the leadership and the business field why do you think that is why do you think people struggle to hand over chunks of the thing that they've created yeah i think people just inherently are distrust yeah uh, i don't think that and i, and I also think especially when it comes to business and growing business. And, you know, Four Paws is a, a distribution company where we represent a stack of different Mornington Peninsula wines and a few other bits and pieces, which is cool. But back in the first 12 months of that job, uh, it was me, that was it. Uh, it was a van, a little van as well, uh, a little Mercedes Vito. And I would be doing two or three trips 
a day back and forth to the warehouse in Somerville down to places like Blagari or whatever during the summer months. Um, and I worked seven days a week and uh, it sucked, honestly. Um, it really affected my relationship with my then fiance. It really affected my friendships with other people. Yeah. You know, I, I didn't feel like I was getting anywhere. And so when the opportunity came to put on one of the guys who I was working with, he was a customer, um, and he's far more experienced than I am in this. You know, he's been in the industry for decades. It was hard. Uh, and it was hard because I knew what I wanted, that I, I had created a brand around me personally, and I didn't know how to give that up. Mm. Not only that, I didn't trust that he would represent what I had made four paws into. Yeah. And I think that was one of my first mistakes was doing everything myself and, and owning or tying myself to the brand. So when people, if I would walk into a shop, four paws was James. It wasn't Pause. four paws itself. Yeah. Um, and four paws, by the way, is pouring a glass of wine, like wine, beer, cider and spirits is the four different things that we pour, not a dog food company. Although I wish I was <laughs> the amount of animals that I have. Uh, so I think often it's because people haven't had that experience and then want to learn from it. So because I've done so many different things, you know, I've just turned 30, but I've had stacks of different career paths, haven't had that experience and wanting to better themselves or give themselves a bit of a break. They won't let go. Um, but even from just a, a value point, if you, are the most important thing in your business, you're devaluing the business if you ever want to sell it. Yeah. I mean, that's just basic, <laughs> basic business uh, tips, I guess. But it's it's interesting to watch other people. And we've had cafes and restaurants fail, yeah. going to liquidation, owing us money. Uh, and often the, the situation is very similar, is that somebody has complete control. They re- refuse to let anybody else in and they sort of put themselves into a corner and then fight their way until yeah. the inevitable, which it's is tough. sad. Yeah. It's, it's tough, it's How sad. How did you develop that, I guess, trust and willingness with your staff to... Uh, I th- from both... both yeah, I, I think uh, it was just the right the right person at the right time. Yeah. You know, Rory is an incredible person. He has done a lot in his life. Um, and, you know, I, I knew that he knew what I wanted to do with the business. I think the biggest thing was that you know, I didn't trust our generation because often we are very good and I've done it. We're very good at taking everything we can from a company and then skipping over to the next one if they offer us $5 a year more. Yeah. It's more about me and it's more about money rather than the bigger picture in the story. So having someone who was older was easier to let into mm-hmm. the families, so to speak, because I kind of knew that I at least have him for, you know, five <laughs> to 10 years. Yeah. And that, you know, that's a real thing that's that we have to yeah. think about. Um, yeah. You know, if I think amount of turnover in hospitality venues or even with your business yeah. in terms of staff, if you think back in the last two, three, or a few, four years Even now. Everything's going to be around forever. Like, and it's, I find it really interesting because I could never give it up. Like, it's just yeah. the way things are at the moment, I could never give it up. But as soon as when you're not tied to it, mm. like you are as an owner, when the grass is greener, you tend to want to jump ship. Yep. The grass is, the way I look at it, the grass is greener where you water it. And if you want to create something that you can be proud of, that you can be a part of, most people would stick around. Yeah, I think that's really good. 
Uh, and I think it's really good advice for everything, but specifically business. And, you know, again, it comes back to story. It's people who have mission statements, for example, and I'm just reworking my mission statement now because I feel like every six months I need to to take a step back and look at what we're doing and and relook at it again is, you know, they'll use a whole bunch of accountant or legal jargon in there. Um, and, you know, I go around to venues and I say, well, what's your mission statement to just, you know, baristas or whoever, an administrative person, no one has any idea. Mm. No one knows why they're there apart from getting money to then go out on the weekend or go to the snow like that. It seems to be the, well, I'm only here so I can get paid. So I don't have any buy-in and, you know, they're not interested in watering the grass one way or the other. Yeah. Uh, so long as the grass pays them. Well, they don't they have really to see them again. No. And, but is that they're, they're doing or do you think that's the, effectively the owner's doing? No, the it's, it's totally the owner's doing. Yeah. Uh, and I think, you know, blaming your staff or blaming your people or anyone around you for something that you have control over is, yeah. is weak. I think it's it shows immaturity and, and an inability to be able to check yourself. Um, you know, we used to coming out or going through training in army, we'd always be told by, you know, the young lieutenants who'd jump straight out of Royal Military College Duntroon and into a platoon and try and change everything because they mm. th- thought they were king of the world yeah. and knew everything, let yeah, alone yeah. The, the sergeant who was their 2IC who'd been in for, you know, 20, 30 years going, here we go again. <laughs> Uh, and that was a big warning is, you know, you might feel like you know everything, but you don't. Yeah. And you need to be able to absorb as much information from every single aspect as possible. And if you have a plan and it doesn't work, that's okay. Mm. So long as you're able to take a step back, relook at the plan and change. We've done that with drops. Yeah, we can't work all the time. We'd be in one of the big chains if things had gone really well. Totally. Uh, but that would have affected a whole bunch of stuff as well. And, you know, in uh, on reflection, it's actually better that we're not. Yeah. Um, and you know, as silly as it sounds and as, you know, the bank account probably would like it <laughs> the other way, but it, it will grow in that positive way. So yes, I think as a leader, you need to be able to manage people's expectations of yourself before anything yeah. else, because if they see you losing the plot or if they see you not bought into your own business or stressed, and we're all guilty of that. I mean, I'm oh, guilty of that the last couple of weeks. Yeah. You know, I've been in a really tough spot. Winter sucks for us. You know, we had bills owing and, and people not paying us and all that sort of other stuff. Um, you know, I've got a big faith perspective and background on it. And I, you know, will pray about it and lean into God about it. But that's easier said than done. Mm. And regardless of your faith position or not it's it's you know it it doesn't bother me but that's how i try and filter everything else on the other side because it just you know even if you meditate or you you want to go for a walk or whatever it is for you just having those quiet moments and for me having a conversation with god is important but it's that able your ability rather to kick yourself back into gear and pull yourself out of the rut and go okay here we go again um and honestly it happens to me every 12 months or so with something that happens yeah. and I've just gone through my annual, <laughs> yeah, annual rut yeah. uh, but at least I acknowledge it and at least I am able to surround myself with good people good friends uh, I you know I sit and I listen to podcasts or I read or I try and get myself out of it and, and give myself that reminder of you know how is your attitude right now yeah. impacting your business impacting your customers and impacting yourself yeah well it's just an ownership play it's just you putting yourself forward to take ownership of the result. Yeah. I think that's 
like one of the definitions I really like about leadership it's being responsible for the result that's outside of your control yeah because you do everything you can do and you, you let the other things happen yeah and you know the, the army adage is you know all plans are great until first contact with the enemy <laughs> yeah you know we as an army officer you train and you write your mission you write your plan and uh, the acronym is SMEAC, and you, you so S M E A C. You've got situation, mission, execution, admin and logistics, and command and SIGs. And the execution element of it is the biggest part because part of that subheading is actions on anything. Yeah. So you know, might be the plan is or the mission is to capture the hill over there and kill the enemy and clear. Well, capture and clear are two different objectives, but. You might, that might be the thing. Now, actions on might be actions on a tank appearing, actions on, you know, a hailstorm or a bushfire or a clown walking through the middle. Like, you just... The, the random things that have to come towards you that you have to be prepared to change direction very quickly, yeah. uh, but be able to take your team, group them up and take them with you. Because if you're looking behind you and they're still going in the opposite direction, then yeah, you failed. Right, yeah. uh, and I think it's important to, to try and do that in daily life but you know it's not always applicable but yeah. often it it is um and but again that comes with, with everything you know if you're sitting here listening to this and you hate your job at the moment well that's cool and yes you can go and get another one but you might hate that job again yeah. so i guess you know you ask the question well is it about leaders who have to really create that good environment well yes it is about the leaders creating that good environment but a big yeah. part of leadership is followership. Mm. And I think people who just sit there and complain and don't try, and they might be different. If you've tried, I get that. And that's yeah. cool. And maybe you should find somewhere else to work. But if you haven't tried, if you haven't gone in with a lens of wanting to do better for your boss uh, or whoever owns the company or whoever runs the company, then maybe try that. Mm. Maybe try sitting down with them and having a conversation about, well, what is it that you want me to do? Why are we? Yeah. Why are we why here? Are we actually here? You know, I love a quote. The biggest problem with communication is the assumption that, it's, that it happened in the first place. It's because we all like we play these things over in our head. The things that aren't working. Yeah. We, we go around and around and around in circles. And we look at them from one lens, and then we don't actually have the conversation with the person that we're frustrated with or yep. upset with or annoyed at. So we miss the whole. We miss the whole boat. Yeah, and nothing actually changes. I'm reading the uh, Simon Sinek's new book, um, The Infinite Game. Yeah. And just like really simply, there's two games, one with a clear rules, clear start, clear ending, and then there's one with no ending. So like if we look at the gym environment, a, a session is a finite game. We look at health and well-being, that's an infinite game until we cark it, I guess. Yeah. But uh, the way he positions this book is how, that's how you look at business is yep. that you're there you know we're not there to sell to a big chain our second run and, and sell out and have all these growth problems we're here to be here for a long time yeah and i think that's like one of the things that i'm getting from you is that you're not here to be a flash in the pan to make a difference really quickly to make a lot of money and get out like no. it's all a, it's a process money is has been a driving factor for me for a long time up until about two years ago changed uh just a realization of what it was doing what it was doing to my mental state what it was doing to my relationships and and the fact that i was sacrificing relationships with customers and building networks to try and chase 
big accounts and bigger money. Yeah. Um, what's come out as a result is more customers and, and you know better paying customers, not always more money, but better paying customers because of a change in attitude. Yeah. You know, I've been told this time and time again, and everyone that I talk to and meet, you know, regardless of how much money they have, I always say, well, you know, how much more do you want? And they just always say, it's around a little bit more, just <laughs> yeah. a bit more. You know, I just yeah. want more so I can pay out, you know, this. the debt that I've got and to this person. But the problem is we're never able to do that. Yeah. So I think it's, I think it's really important to acknowledge money. It's important in, you know, it needs, it does make the world go around, but how we view it and how we idolize it needs to be changed at least. And that's what, what that was for me. Yeah. Um, but I just want to go back to the point about, you know, thinking about things and dwelling on it. You know, I've got this at work and, and Rory will know this and sort of how does it, if, if I have to think of something longer than five minutes, then it's a problem. Um, and that might be a supplier. Yeah. Uh, and this has happened recently where, you know, we have issues with them or they don't trust us or something else is going on. And I say, well, if I have to think about it for longer than five minutes, as in I can't come up with a solution, generally it's a cut it away. Yeah. Uh, and that might sound ridiculous. And of course, there's more conversation Obviously, that goes into it. Yeah. But from a very simple level, you know, if, if I'm thinking or if I'm dwelling about... You know, I've chased a customer for money and they're really annoyed. This is a live example, by the way. They're really annoyed with me because I've chased them for money even yeah. though they've owed this money to me yeah. for 60 days. What do I then do from that? Do I apologize to them for being forceful? <laughs> do I remind them that I'm not a bank? Do, you know, there's so many different things. Yeah. And the answer is it's all of those things and none of them at the same time because it they're so unique depending on the character or the, the person behind the computer on the other end of the phone or yeah. the other side of the desk. So you have to remain flexible with how you deal with these issues. But again, if it's longer than five minutes, then I, you know, we have a meeting, bring the team together and we go, right, how do I deal with this? Yeah. And that's the other thing is it's cool to bring in information and listen to other people and, and build a picture and a story of the situation from as many different angles as you can. Yeah. But ultimately, as a leader, you have to make a decision because there is nothing worse to me than indecision. Uh, if you dwell and you sit, I'd rather make a decision with my gut Fuck it up. and be the wrong one yeah. and go back and fix it. Assess, then assess it and change it and fix things as it's running. I yeah. Think. yeah. yeah. Uh, and I think that's really important. You know, indecision, indecision is just not, not okay as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. It's just one of those uh, a, yeah. army hangups probably, but... You know, it, it uh, makes a big difference, I think. Yeah, I definitely, definitely agree. I've learned so much more from the fuck-ups, from the decisions I've made than from the sitting on my hands. You, you know, have to. Not allowing things to happen. And, you know, I the, the current position that I'm in business-wise, financially, we're not great, you know, and it's winter and everything else, and that doesn't help people drinking. But, you know, it's as a result of what I did two years ago. I'm still paying for that two <laughs> years ago. And I get really frustrated with myself sometimes about that, but it's you're right, it's more important about what the future holds because it means that the same decisions that I made two years ago for four pours, I'm not going to make for drops. Yeah. Or if I see friends of mine going down that path in their own businesses, I will try and have a conversation with them about the yeah. error that I made that has let them down. That same decision for them might work. Yeah, yeah, that's it. But it's trying to build a community of good, solid people and business people who support each other through different problems um and of course cash flow is always the biggest problem yeah but uh it's the one that's front of mind it's it's the one that's like cash flow is always the thing that's like it's banging on the door no matter whether things are going well or not yep. it's there 
look at all of the big companies. You know, we talk about the market at the moment and, you know, I'm saying I'm suffering. I was talking to a friend of mine the other day who works for a massive network of car dealerships. Yeah. And one of their Toyota dealerships is down 30% yeah, wow. on sales. Now, people might think, oh, car manufacturers make it a mint. They yeah. make about 2 to 3% per car. You know, the actual brand, whatever, Toyota, VW, whatever, might make the money back at the factory. But yeah. the dealership network hardly makes anything. They make it on servicing. So, you know, he was saying that the pressure that he is under and the pressure that the staff around him are under to sell more is immense. Yeah. But being told to sell more is the obvious thing. Uh, well, that's, that's just all outcome. Like, it's KPIs, right? Yeah, it's not process related. Yeah. And that's why, you know, going back to earlier is that I don't like KPIs because what they do is they create friction and tension and pressure that means that I just don't think you can do KPIs with the knowledge of your guiding principles and filter them through properly without feeling pressure to just do a sale and sacrifice excellence or communication or community, you know, in my instance, to to do that. So so the market is really, really bad. And so cash flow is really, really bad. And the ATO will say that everyone's really bad and they're all on payment plans. And, you know, Reserve Bank is, you know, whatever, slashing interest rates and everything else. And accountants are saying, we're going to help you. We can do this, you know, and and our accountant friends, it's great that you do that. And, you know, you are wonderful helps, but you can't fix the problem of cash flow. Uh, That is something that you have to have a relationship with those customers or, you know, if they're wholesale customers or people walking up to the door, mm-hmm. people paying for a coffee, whatever it is, yeah. being able to capture their mind and their heart and allow them to be part of something bigger than themselves, yeah. that's where you get that buy-in. Um, so it's going to be an interesting next couple of months to see what happens. I think, honestly, you know, standing in drops, uh, sorry, standing at the drops of Juniper Stand at Juniper Loser yeah. and looking around to the other distilleries uh, the other 60 or so, I'd say that depending on where the market goes in the next 12 months, three quarters of them might be there on yeah. the other end. And that's because they've got massive overheads and that's because they've got, you know, this brand new still and everything else. So did we go the right, right way about it? I think yeah. we did actually in reflection For now, yeah. um, to, to have that minimal risk. But anyway, so it's, you know, you just can't predict what's going to happen. The only thing you can control is the environment of which you're operating um, and how you operate in that environment. How do you balance... I don't like the word balance. But how do you balance between the the desire to... and always wanting more mm. to the appreciating now and, appreci- and like what's going on right now? Yeah, it's a good question. I think, uh, you know, my wife has a massive part to do with that. Yeah. Um, and... You know, it's it's also being part of a really good community of people who love you and want to support you and want the best for you. Uh, and I think if I didn't have any of those things that I wouldn't be happy or successful. Yeah. I think I would have burnt myself out well and truly by now and probably working at a desk job again, which I would be hating. Yeah. Um, not that there's anything wrong with desk jobs, but that's just me personally. Yeah. So... You know, she plays a massive part in that. My faith plays a, plays a massive part in that. Uh, my mentoring circle, you know, I catch up with two other guys uh, fairly regularly. Um, and, you know, we sit down and talk about each other's lives. We all do something very different. Um, we all we all married and, you know, young. So it, it, trying to work out what that looks like and the challenges of marriage and all that sort of stuff. So I guess the simple answer is, 
community uh, and the ability to listen, which I'm not always good at. And I'm sure people listening who know me know that sometimes I just have to go down a path. And sometimes a path works and sometimes it doesn't, but it's the mistake that I will make and learn from with the knowledge that I can go back to the community and they'll welcome me back and go, you're an idiot. You're learning by doing. But I love you. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. It's, It's learning by experience. Yeah. And so... It's important to surround yourself with the right people, but also to surround yourself with people who aren't the same as you. Yeah, 100%. I think that's that's the cool thing about a lot of the businesses that are connecting over and over again around here. Mm. You know, the Jetty Road guys, Four Paws, Common Folk, Snake Eye even, like everyone's different. Yeah. But when you when you sit down like this and have these conversations, we're all going through the same shit. Oh, yeah. It's just presented in a different package. And I think levels of success, like if you think about Grant from Jetty Road, for example, you know, his level of success is people can walk into a space, a brewery, and sit down and have a beer on tap and have a meal and see, you know, Blake and the brewery doing something. And people might go, oh, man, I really wish that I had a brewery. I could think of nothing worse. I could honestly yeah. think of nothing worse, you know. You see him pulling his hair out. Yeah. So I mean, he doesn't have my hair left to pull out, I don't think. But, you know, he's someone who, he and I are very similar and, you know, our banter is significant. But I have a lot of respect for him because of what he's doing. Yeah. Uh, I hope he's not listening because he'll think that I'm actually being kind to him for a change. But I have a lot of respect to him for what he's doing because I think he's on the right path. But he's learning from his mistakes, changing the way that he approaches things and, and having another crack at it. Yeah. Um, and it's because he's surrounded by some good people. Um, and it's not just necessarily people within that same yeah. business. It's the external influences, like you said, with... Virtus and um, you know Reese as we're sitting yeah. in his factory and Common Folk and Snake Hole and a whole range of just different people who are brought around the table by was you know initially good coffee. <laughs> yeah, you know Pretty Common much. Folk has a lot to answer for in yeah. terms of that that building up and I know that Keck would love that and and Troy and, and everyone else Benny would love the fact that it brought people together yeah. um, and built this big family in the Mornington Industrial Estate. Yeah. Mm. It's cool. I, it, I'm very excited for Drops to be a part of that. And I think that's why we want to be here. Yeah. Is, you know, we, we talk, know that we suit that. Like, yeah. And, you know, we could go to Dramata or we could go to Seaford or we could go Moorabbin or anywhere. Like, you know, the, it might be an easier time, but I think, and as you alluded to right at the very beginning, there's no point rushing this part of this journey yeah. because we want to be here. We know that we're going to be supported by a good group of people around us. And that's, you can't ask for anything more as a new distillery, I don't think, or, or a venue or whatever it is, is yeah. having that initial support, you know. And, I mean, it's, <laughs> you always have to do it through a different lens and the rose-coloured glasses of, well, we'll open a bar and it's going to be the best bar <laughs> and it's going to work. Well, everyone thinks that when they yeah. open a bar, otherwise they wouldn't do it. Yeah. If they think, oh, I'm going to really struggle with cash flow and <laughs> I'm not going to really see my family and I have to work seven days a week to stupid It'd clock be in the morning. It's an interesting way of like framing it if you can start a business going like, okay, what's going to go wrong? Like, Because most people don't think about it. Nah. Like You kind of go, okay, yeah, I'm going to have troubles, which we know that's going to happen, but what is actually going to go wrong? And yeah. I'm sure when the distillery opens... like. We're going to go, yeah, it's best. It's going to be the best thing ever, but we're going to have cash flow issues. We're yep. going to have to work too long. Like, we're not going to see the families as much as we'd like to, and there's going to be sacrifice. But yep. without that sacrifice, none of these businesses around here would exist. And I think, as you say, it's going to be different for Drops because of our personal experiences, or at least the people who own businesses in, in our group of six, yeah. have that, that understanding and the knowledge of how it impacts you yep. and what goes wrong. 
and it will go wrong, but being able to prepare yourself for something that goes wrong that you don't expect. Yeah. So, yes, I think that's... <laughs> I think we're crazy. Uh, I love it, though, because I think All we're crazy. Yeah, and, you know, it's it's going to be... It's going to be something that's going to work. It might not work really well. It might not work the way we expect it to, but it'll work. It'll work. Mm. It'll work. And I'm excited for it. It's cool. Last question for you. Go on. What are you most excited for? Growth. I, I, you know, obviously, and if, you know, if you picked up on this at all in the last, you know, (laughs) hour or so, how long we've been talking, is it's about change. Uh, and growing as a person, growing in my faith, growing businesses, growing other people, yeah. um, and growing a community. That I just, I, I am just so aware of different people in their environments, hating what they're doing or struggling personally or in their relationship or yeah. whatever. Um, and you know, I, I employed three people, and I love that. Mm. I love it because. I give them freedom to do what they want. Yeah. Uh, you know, Rory goes surfing whenever he can, which is great. Um, I give flexibility for, for you know people to do whatever they want, whatever they want. I I'm not the kind of person that says you have to be here at this yeah. time and you have to leave at this time. Come here, do what you, you can yeah. or what you need to do in the time that you've got, and then go home and try not to take work home with you because yeah. I do that enough for everyone. <laughs> uh, which is you know which is a whole real thing, but. That growth for me is is what excites me. And that's growing in the people that I know. Like, you know, connecting to you through drops and through Tommy and, and drinking and now the, the Virtus family that you've got that I have access to that are now listening, yeah. you know, which I really appreciate. But, you know, I think growing is important and challenging is important, but being self-aware is important um, and surrounding yourself with the right people is important. And I think if you're listening and you, again you hate what you do uh, or even if you love what you do you can always be better yeah. you can always grow and it's never too late to learn something it's it's never too late to admit that you've made a mistake and I think surrounding yourself with mentors and mentors are important as well like I've got a couple of mentors that from a faith point of view from a leadership point of view from a business point of view that you know who are so much smarter than I am um, and they probably wouldn't admit that, but they are. And and I lean into them and I listen yeah. and I and I grow. But they'd have a circle of people that they say the same thing about, and that's a beautiful thing about mentors and people that you look up to. They've they've been down paths that you're wanting to head down. Yeah. And if you can pick pick their brain, you fucking made it up. And you just have to ask. I think yeah. that you know the idea. If you haven't got a mentor and you're, and you're thinking about, you know, I really want to challenge myself in something. Just ask somebody. Everybody wants to help. You know, I think about, and, and my wife who is a coach um, in Navy, she does leadership and cultural development coaching in Navy. Uh, you know, she'll talk to her counterparts about, uh, I don't know, let's say Joe wants to go and be a camera person, but he's, you know, working on a submarine or something, I don't know. <laughs> she'll go, all right, well, what have you done t- in terms of steps to get there? Yeah. And he'll say, oh, nothing or whatever. And, you know, I've looked at this online course or whatever. One of the first things she'll say is, well, where do you live and who does, who's a cameraman in your local area and have you reached out to that person and, and asked them, hey, can I just shadow you for a day? Because people just want to feel valued, right? So you can reach out to like, I can, from a, 
you know, a big band singer point of view, I could reach out to Michael Bublé and say, hey man, how do you do what you do? Yeah. And he'll probably ignore me, right? <laughs> and that's okay. You've gone too big. Because <laughs> you've gone too big. Yeah. It started at a, at a local level. So for me, from I was F1 point of view, a podcasting point of view, I reached out to the people that I knew about podcasting and, and said, how do I best do this? Where should I spend the money? Where should I do this? And, and you start building that up. But just ask the question of someone. If, you know, business leaders, if it's two in this room, there's stacked from everywhere else. We've all got different experiences. We all go through the same crap. Cash flow is always the biggest issue. So if you think you're starting a business and you think <laughs> you've got money, just remember that cash flow sucks. It will suck forever. Double it. Uh, yes, yeah. in some cases, triple it. But, you know, that that growing for me and that want, that what's next ties into surrounding myself with people who are already bigger than me mm. um, to understand what mistakes they've made, learn from them, but also be challenged by them as well. Perfect. Mate, thanks for coming on. It's Thank been you, a pleasure. Man. We'll have to do another one when the uh, distillery opens. Hopefully in the next six months. Yeah.